0: And as we go to the last chapter in the Bible, I want us to understand that when we start talking about really the last three chapters of the Bible, uh, there's something that's taken place that y- you have to understand we don't have all the answers to. And in our society, that places a real high value on having an answer for this and having a an friend for that. So sometimes we struggle when it comes to the end of the end. When we lived in Arizona, we would go to Flagstaff and we would drive north for 45 minutes to get onto I-40 at Holbrook, we take a left, and and as soon as we got onto I-40, way off in the distance, an hour and a half away, we could see San Francisco Peaks, which is the largest mountains in Arizona, the the peak of San Francisco Peaks, 12,637 feet, but from Holbrook all it was, it, it, it didn't mean it didn't exist, and it didn't mean that it didn't have lava rock because it was uh, really as a volcano, and it doesn't mean that it didn't have pine trees that went three-quarters of the way up or any of that stuff. It didn't mean that it didn't have elk on it, but all we could see is the silhouette of the mountain. And when we, when we get to the latter part of the book of Revelation, you have to understand that, that we're just seeing a bit of a, a silhouette, doesn 't mean that we have all the answers to it; we know that there 's something there, and we 're moving toward it and if you 're anything like me, the closer we get to some place that we 're going, we tend to get a little more excited. I was the kid in the back seat of the car who you know are we almost there? Are we almost there? Are we almost there and so when john is 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 kind of wrapping things up we're, the Lord in his in his grace gives us a silhouette, and so what i 'd like to do before I read out of Revelation chapter 22, is I'd like to just do a bit of a recap, a little bit of an illustration here. I, 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 I gave him no time to say no. I asked Dave to come and he's to volunteer for me. so He was voluntold. But here in a minute, I'm going to need two more people to come up and stand right up here for a minute. And so, uh, so he, as we get to the end of days, the end of days, uh, it really is the end of what the Bible calls the dispensation of grace. This, this period of time, roughly 2,000 years, where it's the, it's the period of the Gentiles, where the gospel is not just for Jews, but for Gentiles. And all who believe on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And there's going to be the last Gentile that will be saved one day. And that person, once that person saved, whoever they are all around the world, then the rapture of the church is going to happen. And the rapture of the church is where we are caught up to be with the Lord. He kind of comes halfway. he doesn't come all the way down, he comes halfway down, and there's this trumpet that sounds and and a, and we're transformed in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. okay It doesn't mean that we're transported in the twinkling of an eye we're 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 transformed and so David, come on up here, David, you stand right down here, David for a few minutes here, he's going to stand right here. He's going to represent. Us in our resurrected state. There's no better example than right here. You heard some of those labs, right? Uh, yeah. Just make mental notes. I'm yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so when the rapture happens, uh, Dave, he's going to go up to be with the Lord, and the and this body that is, while it's hard to recognize is in this current state corruptible, okay, but it's going to be incorruptible. It's going to be changed. Okay. And so he's, and I want you to get this, that now in, in your mind's eye, you've got to see Dave as being in his resurrected, glorified state. And we're going to have seven years where we are going to enjoy a wonderful marriage supper of the lamb. I know that there have been those that have made jokes that there are no women in heaven. And the reason there's no women in heaven is there's half, there's a half an hour of complete silence, but that's not true. Okay, if you've heard that's not true. Women will be in heaven, right? Uh, but while we're in heaven, and we're enjoying the marriage supper of the Lamb, we're eating all the food that will not put on any weight, okay? okay, it won't, it, We live in a day, by the way, if you go on any social media, you know, everything's bad for you. You might as well not eat anyway and just die of starvation, right? But we won't have to worry about any of that stuff. We're going to to have this wonderful time together with the Lord in heaven for seven years. While the seven years are going on, there are going to be people who are still on the earth. Remember, all, all followers of Jesus, both in the Old Testament when they look forward to Jesus, and people who heard his message, and everyone since that said yes to Jesus, they're in their resurrected state in heaven. But on the earth, there's all sorts of bad things happening. All right, I need two people here that will come up and volunteer. Come on up. Uh, uh, these people were left behind, okay? They, they didn't accept Jesus, and so when, when all the Christians were taken away, they weren't. Now, during, during the tribulation, there will become a point where in the tribulation is seven years and it's broken in half. You have the, the tribulation and the great tribulation. And there's going to be a time in that seven year period where there are going to be people that are going to have to make a choice. They're either going to have to take the mark of the beast, which is, was a mark that'll go on the forehead or on the hand. They won't be able to buy or sell unless they have it. But there are going to be, there are going to be a lot of people. Uh, like I've said before, it's, you know, it's Texans, right? The Texans are going to say, no, we're not going to. So she's going to represent the Texans, okay? okay? She, so she's, in, in the end, she's a Gentile that says, yes. To Jesus as she lives through the tribulation period. But the tribulation period, and when you hear the word judgment in, in Scripture, it's important that you understand that, that in all of Scripture, judgment is about God making things right. And so in part of what he's doing in making things right, he wants to make sure that the Jews are right. So really the tribulation period has, has 144,000 Jews that begin to evangelize, but the purpose is that the Jews, that they're Gentiles, but the Jews turn to Jesus and mourn as one who's lost a son. They've, they, they've, they've said yes to him. And so, so now you have, you have three types of people. You have the resurrected that are in heaven, you have the Gentiles who are uh, didn't take the mark of the beast, and you have the Jews who didn't take the mark of the beast and said yes to Jesus. And they lived through the tribulation period. And at the end of the tribulation period, we come back. And when we come back, Jesus, with us following, wipes out all of the Antichrist, the false prophet, and, and he's, he's thrown into the, the bottomless pit, and, and every person that followed him who took the mark, they're all, they're all wiped out. And so the only people left on the planet are those who are resurrected, the Gentiles who've received Jesus, but they're not resurrected, and the Jews who've received Jesus and not resurrected. It's important we get this. Because now for a thousand years, they're going to be living during that time. Now, it's hard for us to imagine what it would be like to live 800 years old. But it won't be unusual. But here's the thing. The, those who are who are, who have lived through the resurrected, or through the, the tribulation period, they're going to have babies, and their babies are going to have babies, and their babies, babies and babies and babies and babies. God never has grandchildren, so those children, their children, their grandchildren, their great-grandchildren, will all have to still say yes to Jesus. Do you know, when we're back here with them, we'll have the responsibility of helping them know the message of Jesus. And, and, they'll, and they'll say yes. There'll be some that won't. They'll see some that say no. And then, in fact, some might even sin. But the moment they sin, Jesus, who rules, the Bible says, with an iron scepter during that millennial reign of Christ, will poof. No trial. No need for arrest. They're just gone. Because sin will not be able to be expressed during that thousand-year reign of Christ. We don't have to worry about that. We'll, have, we'll be in our resurrected state. We'll not have to have any concern there. But them... Their children, their children's children, still have to. And then at the end of the thousand-year reign of Christ, the scripture tells us that Satan is going to be released. He's been bound for a thousand years, but now he's going to release. This is where the silhouette starts to happen for me. Because I said, you know, I, I got the gifting of a teacher, and with the gifting of a teacher, I don't learn, lose what the two- and three-year-olds said. I, okay, why? Why does Satan have to be released after a thousand years? But he is, and he deceives the nations. And there are the Bible says that it's so many people, it's like the, the sand on a seashore that will choose to still follow Satan. Even after they've lived in a perfect environment where there's no war, where there's no murders, Where where there's no no sexual perversion, where there's no transgenderism, where there's none of the things that we look at and we go, yuck, we're so sick of this. There's going to be none of that because you got to get this, your environment does not save you and their environment during the thousand year reign of Christ will not save them. And so at the end, Satan is released and he he just deceives, you know, how many ever people he ends up deceiving and then... Now, he's defeated. And he's defeated, and he is thrown into the lake of fire. And every person that followed him at the end will also be thrown into the lake of fire. But before they go into the lake of fire, the Bible says there's this great right uh, throne judgment. And this judgment is, is done this way. There, there will be those. Now, we will, we will know, because we're in our resurrected state, we will know that our names were in the Lamb's book of life because we were resurrected. We went with Jesus. Those that remain will have their names written in the Lamb's book of life because they believed in Jesus. But all the people that followed Satan at the end and all the people that chose not to live Jesus' life but rather live their own life the book's going to be opened and their name's not going to be found. So the Bible says there are books. And I want you to get this when it comes to the books. You know, there are people that they, they're they they're trying to accomplish everything on their own from, from anything from wealth to their own righteousness. And if they do not choose Jesus, every attempt that they do, everything that they do that is self-serving is written in a book. Some people are maybe only have a page or two. Some people may only have a sentence, I don't know. Some people, person maybe like Adolf Hitler, may have books. And they will be judged according to their works and then thrown into the lake of fire. So I'm assuming that there are parts of the lake of the fire that are hotter than others. I don't know. It's a silhouette. There are things that I don't understand. But, but God says if, if you're not going to trust his works and you're going to trust your works, that's where you're going to end up. And so then you have this picture. Now again, they're not resurrected. We are resurrected. And we're all living together. I don't get all of that. I don't don't necessarily understand all of it. But after Satan is thrown into the lake of fire and the judgment happens, it's at that moment that death and Hades are no more. See, that's a long time. It's not until then that there will be no more death, because again, again, if, some, if if a Jew or a Gentile decides that they're gonna they're gonna go do something bad, they're gonna die. Poof, just like that. But at the end of the thousand years, that's done. There's no more. In fact, you start to see now in the end of uh, the end of the end, really the fulfillment of the very beginning. But rather than God walking in the coolness of the garden, he comes back in a city. Now, Clarissa and I, we lived in the mountains and in rural Arizona, and I love the city. And I know some of you just grew up in the city, and you're just, man, I can't wait to get in the country. But I'm telling you, from a spiritual standpoint, God starts in the garden, but he ends up in the city. That theology may not go very far. But you have to understand, God comes and dwells with man. And it is at that moment that the earth becomes the center of the universe. Now the earth, the great God of heaven says, that is my place of dwelling. So if, you're, if your idea of Christianity is, a, is that, that I'm made to go to heaven, you got it all wrong. You are made to live here. In fact, you're made to live here with God. And while Adam and Eve ruined that at the beginning, Jesus came so we can enjoy that at the end of the end. And it is at this point. Again, a lot of things I don't understand. Only a silhouette. And why why is it? It's it's here, and I I tend to think it's these two, but it might include us. But it's here the scripture says that he will wipe away every tear. It is not right when you get to heaven. It's at this point. When God comes and dwells with man, that he'll wipe away every tear. But then the Bible spends a bit of time talking about this this new Jerusalem that comes down. So if you imagine this this, this city that comes down. And by the way, the city is 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles deep, 1,500 miles tall. And it literally would sit um, over the the western half of the United States. I'm not saying that's where it's going to be I think it'll be in Israel that that area, but that's to get to get an idea of the size If you if you if you're if you're one end of Texas in uh, in El Paso Beaumont is eight hundred and fifty six miles away if you've ever taken that trip that's a long stinking drive, right? It takes ten hours to get to El Paso from here It's a long way this city Is is not quite twice that of Texas. Wide, deep, and high. And and the Bible says that it's translucent. You can see through it. And as as you you can see through it, the the foundations of of it are, are of these 12 gems, these 12 jewels that are that have the engraving of the 12 tribes of Israel that this is at the base of the city. Because the because who lives in the city are those of us, this is important. Right here. Those who said yes to Jesus before he returned. I'm going to mess with some of your theology. Do you realize the Bible says the meek shall inherit the earth? We're inheriting the new Jerusalem. We bought into the redemption story early on. So we get to enjoy the fullness of the redemptive story at the end. Which is why this, the city has, has these 12 gates uh, that, that, that are around the, the side, three on each side. And it's made of, made of pearls, of, of one pearl. And, and that one pearl has, has now the apostle's name written on it. Why? Because, because they were the ones who launched. They were the ones who ignited change, as we would say early on, in the redemptive story. The walls are, are pure jasper. The the there's no temple there, there will there'll be a temple when during the thousand year reign of Christ. But there'll be no temple in the New Jerusalem because God and our Christ are the temple. Now again silhouette here, uh, the, those that live in the city we won't we won't receive emails to conserve on our energy, okay? Because God's going to be the light. Okay, and, and here's what we don't know. We don't know if, if God's going to be the light for the whole world, which would really fall into the category of those who believe in the flat earth society, or, or if there'll be another sun that God creates. Because we won't need light, because we will live in the city. And this, the scripture says the city will have no need of light. But it also says, watch this, that the kings of the earth will come unto its light. So it's almost like a beacon to them. They come to, that, to that, uh, that new Jerusalem that is coming down. It says that in the middle of the, in the, middle of the Jerusalem, out of the throne room of God, or the throne of God, there's this river of life that flows, this purity of water. And on each side is the tree of life. And the tree of life has two purposes. The first purpose of the tree of life is that it produces 12, 12, uh, 12 kinds of fruit every month. I don't know how often everyone will need to go there. Okay. In our resurrected state, we don't become God. We're not self-existent. You got to get that, right? Okay. We're just, we just in a glorified state. Don't know what it is. It's just a silhouette. We get an idea. But we go and we receive. Because back in the garden, the reason that, the, uh, that God set up the angel was so that Adam and Eve couldn't go and eat of the tree of life. You know, the story goes that Adam and Eve were, were our, Adam was walking with his two young sons, Cain and Abel, and they walked by the, the gate of the garden where the, the swords was crossed by the angel, and the boy said, Dad, what's that place? And he just looked at him and said, well, that's where your mother ate us out of house and home. <laughs> but if you read Genesis chapter 3, got to get them in there, people, come on. <laughs> If you read Genesis chapter 3, you find that the reason that angels are is so that humanity would not go eat of the tree of life. Because they would live, the Bible says, forever. So there's this property in the tree of life that allows life sustainability. Don't, again, silhouette, don't fully understand. But the Bible talks about one other thing about these two trees. It says that it's also for the healing of the nations. Boy, isn't that Interesting. So I got to spend the last couple days with just this wonderful Indian guy, really long name, just call him Durius, the last part of his first name. Uh, just a wonderful brother, served Jesus a real long time. He, he um, a couple years back, retired as the CFO of, of Salvation Army USA. And uh, we're, we were talking about races and we are talking about the different, the, really what we are talking about is the different ethnicities. And let me tell you something, God is proud of the nations. Now, so I struggle when it comes to America for, for where we're at and the, the, the nonsense and all that stuff. And, and yet I love America because I'm an American. There's something about our nation that God puts in us that has value. And so oftentimes where we struggle with is how do we express that value? More and more I just look at him and say, you got to stand in front of Jesus. But it's not going to stop. God in his uniqueness, God in his, his great grandeur said, I'm going to make all these different kind of people, and they're going to reflect me. But, but the divisiveness that we experience is thousands of years old. It's, it's the origin that the enemy has done from the very beginning, the us versus them that you're different than me. And and for some reason, God in his infinite wisdom recognizes for the kind of healing that will need to take place, there'll be leaves for that. It's a silhouette. I don't get it. Because in my mind, I'm thinking everything's perfect. There shouldn't be any problems anymore. But yet the scripture makes it clear that that is going to exist. By the way, thank you guys for helping me. Does that help understand the, the differences? I hope it does. Because here's what John did, and I'm going to kind of move through as quickly as I can, but with the, you have to understand, this is all with the silhouette in the background. We're, we're not at the mountain. We're, we're not, you know, like you're not in Flagstaff looking at the pine trees and the elk and the, the deer and where the antelope roam and all that stuff. We're not We're not there. But John gives closing words to the revelation of Jesus Christ that began all the way at chapter 1. Because he's revealed the end of the end. I want you to catch this. So he says, And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, And the one who heard and saw these things, and when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the word of this book, worship God." And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil. Let the filthy still be filthy. Let the righteous still do righteous, and the holy still be holy. And, and let me just put a little note in here. It's just I can bring it up later. He is not telling us to be complacent. That is not what this is saying. Says, Behold, I'm coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, sexually sexually immoral, and murderers, idolaters, I warn everyone who hears the words of this prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share of the tree of life in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies of these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. Of which I always say when I get to this part of the Bible, wow. Just wow. There's so much here. Even in this portion of Scripture, there's just just an incredible amount of stuff. But I want to sum it up right here with these words, and this is an important connect for for you and I today in this world that we live, and, and understanding that while we only see a silhouette, we know that we're going to arrive. It's simply this, the passion. And urgency are the emotional result of understanding time as it relates to God's eternal plan. Passion and urgency are are emotional results of understanding time as it relates to God's eternal plan. John's words were expected to move us. When you understand that we are moving toward that which we only see as a silhouette, but is still a reality, there should, it should cause something inside of our personhood to say, I got to do something different. I can't, I can't be complacent. He really gives 11 facts. I just want to just run through them really quick with you here. It's, he, he just says that the message is trustworthy and true. The message brings blessings to those who study and obey it. The message stirs worship. It's to be read by all. The, the message focuses on the return of Jesus and the judgments. It tells us to, there will those who will be accepted and that there will be those who will be rejected by the Lord. It's proclaimed by the Lord Jesus himself. The message is, is an invitation to Everyone. And it better not be tampered with. And then in the end, it brings great assurance. And this is these this these are intended to move us emotionally because we get an understanding of time as it relates to God's eternal plan. The book of Revelation is, is not about the events of the end. It's about the one orchestrating the events of the end. And when you get a closer look at Jesus, it will increase your passion and urgency in life. And so what he does here, and it's kind of the grow piece I want to walk through real briefly, is, is we have to understand that, that first, it has everything to do with the master. It's everything to the master. What you find in this scripture is he says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. He is the, both the creator and the finisher, he began all things and he will finish all things. Now, just on a side note, that should always be an encouragement to us because what he started in you, he will finish in you. But he goes on, he says, he says, he's the root and descendant of David. Okay, so he's the, he's the actual root of life. That which the nutrient, where the nutrients come is him, but he's also the fruit of life. He started before David. He came through David. Now, get this, because this is a generational component here. Now, can I speak just a minute? Is it okay if I go over just a little bit today? I'm not going to go long, but I, wanna, I need to go over just a bit, because I, I think it's important. If, if, you were, if you were your testimony, if your story about following Jesus uh, is a little bit like, like mine, uh, you know, I was raised in a Christian home. You know what I'm talking about? How many, how many say that, that's how mine would start? I started in a, I was raised in a Christian home. You ever, you ever listen to the testimonies? of A friend of mine uh, that pastors in Philadelphia, he was, he was born in Haiti and his dad looked at his mom and said, he, you didn't get him aborted because miraculously he wasn't aborted. I don't want nothing to do with you. I'm not giving you a name. Get out of my house. He never called him by his name. Eventually, his mom couldn't afford him and made him go live with his dad, who never called him by his name. And God, Jesus Christ, miraculously shows up to him. And, and he's got this wonderful testimony of Jesus literally walking down the street in front of his house. You ever wish you had that? I, I could rock that testimony. I mean, you know, right? I, the, drug, the drug addict. Oh, I could rock a drug addict testimony. I, I can do that. But here's what we miss. That we serve a God that in scripture says, he blessed so-and-so, who blessed so-and-so, who blessed so-and-so, who blessed so-and-so. The reality is, is that if you have a testimony where you were raised in a Christian home, there is no better expression of God's love than to put you into a family who would raise you into a place where you could say, I blessed your parents and I blessed you. Because our testimony is not about us, it's about him. And what Jesus is bringing out in this, this dynamic is that through this, through this generation after generation, generation, some generations just start out, but they start out and then it's, then they bless their kids and their kids are blessed and so on and so forth. But it always has to do with Jesus before, during, and after, because he ultimately is the one who the story is all about. And so as we grow in that reality, all of a sudden, our passion and our urgency for the things of him, it begins to grow. It begins to increase. But there's an important message that I think we need to look at as well, because three times in here, by the way, he says he's the bright morning star, and that's kind of self-explanatory story. He's the brightest light in all the universe, right? But the message, three times, he says, I'm coming soon. Now, again, for those of you that raised your hands that I was raised in a Christian family, Jesus was coming soon when we were young, wasn't he? But you have to understand, from God's perspective, and 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 Scripture, and in reading Scripture, we tend to look through the lens, and it's perfectly normal through our own eyes, our perception, our understanding. And we know, maybe may you know, the Scripture that says, "For God, a day is as of a thousand years." Right? It has everything to do with perception. When I, when I was a little rich, say ten years old. Okay, we lived in the foothills of the Cascades. We didn't have but a couple neighbors. And so I would go outside and I would run for miles in the woods and play and do all sorts of things fish in the creeks and take the shotgun and shoot trees and yada yada, all this stuff. And so when summer came, I love summer. Why? Because it lasted forever. Right? Now we know it doesn't. You know, three months, summer's over. But when I was 10, one year, one year represented 10% of my life. So my perception was that summer is going to last forever. As a parent, I thought summer was never going to end, but for a different reason. But as I've gotten older, what you find is that, that your experiences and the things that you're involved in, all of a the sudden, they seem, and only seem, to go Faster. A phrase I picked up a number of years ago that is so true. And as you as your parent, as you, as you raise kids, I most oftentimes tell this to parents who have kids, the days go slow, but the years go fast. Right? Because at the age of 50 now, now one year just represents 2% of your life. And that doesn't even take into account the fact that your memory isn't what it used to be. You leave the living room to go in the bedroom to get something, you already forget it, right? So So then so suddenly, even that. So again, our perception, it, it totally changes. We understand that, while it's three months in the summer, I step back and recognize that I've had X number of summers. You start to get a picture of an eternal God who looks at time going, "What's a thousand years?" Point zero, 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 zero. How many ever zeros one percent of his existence? I don't know. So when he says he's coming, he's talking about understanding life and and eternity and time from his perspective, which causes a passion and an urgency to grow in our life. And so scripture also says that he's coming and he's bringing his recompense with him. What's he saying? He's saying that he's bringing everything that's deserved. He's going to make amends He's going to bring justice, both right and wrong. He's saying that there are those who are on the inside and those who are on the outside. The insiders, their names are written in the Lamb books of life. Those who are on the outside, their names are not, but all of their deeds are written in a book. The message is, is the same. You hear it every week here. You either to choose to live his life or you choose to live your life. Now, I had a conversation two days ago with somebody about... Well, is it okay for Christians to to drink wine? Because, you know, you got to answer all these important questions in our Christian walk, right? Did Jesus drink wine? Probably. But Jesus gave his life on the cross. How are you doing on that part? Mm -hmm. We like to selectively choose. But ultimately, the gospel message, the, the true gospel message, is that because of the cross, I can take on his life. And I can say no to my own life, which is a lifelong process. You know, our spirituality is not a straight line. It goes through stuff, all that. But I'm constantly saying. So in, uh, in conversation with this, uh, this Indian Durya that I had, we were talking about, about food. And he says, you know, funniest thing. A couple years ago, uh, I just, I, I weighed, I think he said he weighed 220 pounds. He's a short Indian guy, 220 pounds. He goes, God, would you just take away my desire for all these kinds of food? And he said, the Lord did it. You know what I'm thinking? I don't know if I want to pray that. (laughs) Because when I was in Florida, (laughs) Thursday and Friday and Saturday, I had barbecue, I had Indian food, and I had Cuban food. Who wants to get rid of that? But still, the Lord always answers our prayer when we want his life over our life. And for me, I'm, I'm struggling going, Lord, I don't know if I want to pray that. I still don't know if I want to pray that. But, but look at the mandate here, because I'm just a real quick thing. Uh, the mandate is simply worship God. In the middle of it here, John is, is, once again, this isn't the first vision he's had. But here's this angelic being, the one who, who opened the seventh seal, and he wants to bow down and worship this angel. Now, I know none of us would do that. Yes, we would. Because our human ten- tendency and in our flesh, and get this, when you, when you understand that your flesh was not made for eternity in its current state, you'll help to understand why your, fle- your flesh does not desire eternity. Okay, get that. Your flesh doesn't want eternity. Your flesh wants everything now, in the moment, and satisfy it. And so our tendency is to worship things. We, we, we worship those who bring a, bring a powerful uh, miracles into, into life. We, we, you know, we worship Great singers, music, it's hard to imagine us worshiping songs, but we do. We don't worship from the song, we worship the song. It's football season and it's easy to worship teams. That's why I'm an Arizona Cardinal fan. You typically don't worship that kind of team. All sorts of things that we worship. But the angel said, and this is just across the board for us, you must not do that. Anything that we bow down to has immense power over us. And so we say we will not do that. And the Holy Spirit, just—he he's good at helping us know what we have a tendency to bow down to. By the way, I'm fully convinced that that's why he brought me to Fort Worth. Because when I was in Fort Myers, Florida, I just looked at the water and went, man, I could live here. Because I didn't like Seattle. It rained all the time. But I love the I love the Puget Sound. I look there. I'm like, man, this is great. <clears throat> so the Lord said, yeah, you wouldn't serve me right there, so you can't go there. So let's let's this is and it's worship team. You can come because I'm just going to hit this really quick. So what's the go piece? What do we go with this this week? Uh, first and foremost, we need to watch diligently. If there's a passion and an urgency in your life, you're going to constantly be looking. So when I travel, um, here's what I do as, as part of the help too, is to keep me engaged in the driving, is I'm always calculating how fast I'm going versus how far I have. And I'm trying to come up with a time to get there because driving's boring, especially when you're on a straight road. So those kind of things they do. Well, in our Christianity, the more your passion and your urgency grows because now you're understanding that you have this limited time, but all of eternity and God has a plan in it. Now you're looking at, you're looking at the moment you're going, okay, Jesus, when you coming back, Jesus, when you coming back. That's why whenever September comes around, man, my, my intent is that to me, that's just a great time of the year to look because Jesus did powerful things on festivals. And so we look and we watch diligently for these signs. And then finally, we, uh, we invite consistently. We invite constantly, we're saying, you can, you know, again, if you walk up to someone who has no clue of Jesus and say, Jesus is coming quickly friend of mine said to a co-worker one time, if you found Jesus, and she said, yeah, I found him naked in the closet. Because blind people, they don't know. They don't understand. So it's not that you have to use those words. But inviting people into Jesus's life should be a regular thing. And let me tell you something. Again, just the last couple days with this this guy that I get to spend time with, both him and his wife, I just was so convicted. So I go to the table and he's talking on the phone to to T-Mobile and he's talking to customer service, and I don't do well with customer services. But he ends up witnessing to the guy and praying with the guy before he hangs up. I'm thinking, I am such a heathen. You (laughs) get around people like that, you just go. But here's the thing. We go to a barbecue restaurant, and and this guy was, he he was struggling in his identity, and you could tell it, uh, and, and yet his wife shared Jesus with him and then prayed with him. See, this life that is filled with this passion and urgency, talking to people about Jesus is something that we just say we're going to regularly do. And so I think that the challenge that the Lord wants us to is, who are you going to mention it to this week? He's going to give an opportunity for you to be able to say, hey, are you a Jesus follower? How's it going? Can I pray for you? And and what you're doing very subtly, saying Jesus is coming soon. Because you and Jesus and another person, always results in a dynamic miracle. It may not be the miracle of them getting saved. It may be the miracle that their attitude changes. It may be a a totally different But God is alive and active in this world that seems so ugly and full of evil. He's alive. But we have to begin to activate it by being intentional and constantly inviting people into this relationship with the Lord. And the great thing about the place that that we live is that there are people that they accepted them years ago and then just never did anything with it. And so you can reactivate the reality that Jesus is coming soon into people's lives. And so, Lord, as we explore this silhouette of the end of the end, Lord, I pray that you will challenge us powerfully this week to ignite change in the relationships, our circle of influence, Lord, that, Lord, we might be able to share you. Because, Lord, you are alive and Lord, you're active. You, you set your spirit that, Lord, we would view the works that you have done. And Lord, if, if the simple works that you did would just be in, in the church, the loving acts of people who are rejected, cast to the side, not cared about, there would just be a powerful move of your spirit. So Lord, we just say yes. We say yes to you. And if boy, if you're willing to allow the Holy Spirit to move you and to have you engage in a conversation this week, uh, just say yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And I guarantee you the Spirit's going to open your eyes because all of a sudden you're going to have a a dynamic of an urgency and a passion because I think this morning he's just shown each of us a a, a powerful thing of, of, of time as it relates to his eternal plan. So Lord, we have so much time. We say yes, yes, yes to you. If you've not exchanged your life for his life, Oh, would you do that this morning? All you have to say is, Jesus, receive me. Receive me. Forgive me of my sin. Receive me. There's no one that the invitation is not offered to. You may think that you've done horrible things and your book is incredibly thick, but Jesus says, I've forgiven everyone. Take on my life. And when you do that, his spirit will come and reside in you. And your name will be written in the Lamb's book of life. And so do that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thank you again for joining us. We hope that our time together has been a blessing to you. And it doesn't have to end there. If you want to find last week's sermon, you can go to Facebook, YouTube, or you can listen to us on the audio podcast. You can let us know if you'd like to be further connected in a life group. But let me go ahead and pray as we close and say, God, thank you for being with us, Lord God. Thank you for helping us to carry your words, Lord God, and change our lives, Lord. Help us to carry your love to those around us. And we thank you for what you are doing. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you and thank you for being a part. We hope to see you soon.